and I completely forgot to do the countdown part. So, <laughs> um, we're going. <laughs> and this, folks, is why I'm not in charge. Um, we're going to jump straight into this then. Uh, Welcome, everybody. Welcome back. She has been working very hard and hasn't been on our conference for the last couple of rounds, but she is absolutely one of our favorites and one of the experts when it comes to crowdfunding. Anya Combs is going to give you the full breakdown on is crowdfunding still an option, and then we'll do Q&A later. So if you got questions, drop them in chat. We'll be good to go. Anya, I'm going to get out of your way now. Not a problem. You are never in my way, but <laughs> thank you for the lovely introduction. Um, first of all, thank you to everybody who is here. I can't actually see how many people are here. So it could be one, it could be a hundred, however many there are. I'm super excited to chat with you all today. Um, so I did a version of this talk in November of last year in Portugal to an international audience, uh, mostly European. So I'm excited to bring this, so to say, back to the States, even though I understand this is a virtual conference with people from all over the world, but I'm assuming there's uh, a large number of North Americans here. Um, and we're going to talk about crowdfunding, and we're going to talk about if crowdfunding is still an option for everybody. Uh, but first off, hi, hello, how are you? Uh, I'll do a quick introduction into who I am and why I'm talking about crowdfunding. Who am I? Um, my name is Anya Combs. Uh, I have been in the games industry 16 years. This is my 16th year in the games industry, which is wild and exciting and terrifying. Uh, I got my start in the flash gaming space at a little internet website called addictinggames.com. Uh, I was one of the main people that found the games for addictinggames.com, which was absolutely wild. Um, I think at some point, I think some of the old flash heads should just get together and quite frankly, write a book about our Wild West days of working in the Flash game space. Um, I then worked for Nickelodeon. Uh, Addicting Games was owned by Viacom under the Nickelodeon brand. It's one of those weird like corporate structure things where it's like you have your parent company and you have like a hundred million other companies and structures and confusing sort of stuff. Um, but I worked out of Nickelodeon corporate here in New York City. Uh, I worked there for about two and a half years. Um, and I was like, ooh, this corporate thing is not for me. Why are there three floors of marketing and nobody's talking to each other? This doesn't make any sense. So I um, decided to leave that position and I got a job as the games outreach lead at Kickstarter, which brings us into crowdfunding. Uh, so I worked at Kickstarter for about six and a half years. Uh, eventually, I was the director of games, effectively the head of games, uh, running the category, which was wild running a very, very successful category during the height of lockdown. Uh, after about six and a half years, I sort of realized, I think this is kind of all I can really do here. And I believe that you should leave when you're basically on top. So I was like, okay, it's time to pass the torch. So I left in March of 2022. I joined a company called Backerkit in April of 2022, where I was a tabletop account manager. Um, did not know that Backerkit was launching a competing crowdfunding site. So it was a very interesting year in eight months. And as of November 2023, I have been a fully freelance person um, working in crowdfunding, business development, a little bit of events, a little bit, actually a lot of community management. Um, so I have a handful of contracts out right now. I'm still always looking for work. So if you are running a crowdfunding campaign or if this talk inspires you to run a, run a crowdfunding campaign, super happy to chat. 
And when I am not doing game stuff, I have a second career as a professional musician in New York City. So if you want to follow me on the internet, you can follow my wild life of games and music, which is a fun time. Um, so I, I like to start these talks kind of talking first about how crowdfunding works, mostly just because I think sometimes it's important to have a little bit of a refresher of like, cool, this is what crowdfunding actually is, right? So effectively, uh, you have a game idea or you have an idea for a creative project of some kind that could be a film, uh, an album, a pin, a plushie, like whatever it is. Uh, then you have to find funding, right? This is this is the challenging part. And given the state of games, this is a little bit more challenging than ever. Um, but for crowdfunding specifically, obviously, this is a, a funding opportunity. So the baseline of it is I will ask for X amount of money in Y amount of days. So I'll ask for $50,000 in 30 days. Uh, there's two different forms of funding that are involved here. There's actually three, but two of the most common, which we will get into a little bit later in this presentation. Uh, and people, known as your backers, will pledge for a reward. So if I meet my goal, I make the thing, and the rewards are then sent to the backers, right? This is a very, like baseline understanding of crowdfunding. Um, but how did crowdfunding start, right? Like, is this like a new phenomenon? It feels like crowdfunding has, you know, increased significantly. Is it still as big as it was? But, you know, what is what's sort of the history? Well, in 1997, the British band, I am going to butcher this, so please correct me. I believe it's pronounced Marillon, uh, funded their reunion tour with online donations from fans. This was sort of the first start of crowdfunding as we know it to be today. In 2001, a website called ArtistShare uh, was the first dedicated crowdfunding platform uh, it launched, which is really exciting. It, from what I understand, is still active. They use offers instead of pledges, so some of the language is a little bit different. Uh, there's no comments. There's not really like a community. It just strictly accepts pledges in exchange for rewards. Uh, it's very sporadic with the type of projects that they have. In 2007, Indiegogo launches, which, as we all know, is a big crowdfunding site. In 2008, the Great Recession hits. Uh, people started to look to each other to fund creative ideas, mostly because it was a it was a really scary time. I very vividly remember 2008, and it, in a lot of ways, to 2000 2024 feels very very similar to 2008, where. Uh, everything was just exponentially more expensive and the creative ideas that were happening, um, it was people were struggling to find VC Monday uh, funding. And so people just started looking to each other to kind of help each other out to fund what their creative ideas were, which is kind of kind of exciting in the face of what feels like a never ending hellscape. Uh, in 2009, Kickstarter launches. Uh, in 2012, this is actually very important. President Obama signs the Jobs Act, also known as the crowdfunding bill, which le which legalizes equity crowdfunding. This really aimed to lessen the regulation burdens on small businesses, um, and it legalized the concept of equity crowdfunding. Also important to note in 2012 that Backerkit launches. In 2013, Patreon launches. In 2015, Fig and GameFound launch. In 2021... Uh, Kickstarter announces a move to blockchain, which really, really uh, <laughs> sort of divided uh, the market, especially in games. Um, 
not just video games, but also in tabletop. The tabletop games industry also was very like, we do not want to have anything to do with this blockchain thing. Um, that moves us into 2022 when Backerkit launches a crowdfunding platform to compete with Kickstarter. And in 2023, uh, Fig actually closes their doors after they sold to a company called Republic. So we've talked about a lot of different crowdfunding options that exist, and these are not all of them by any means. There's a lot of smaller bespoke companies. There's one called Seed and Spark, which is a film-specific crowdfunding site. There's a company called Crowdfunder. Um, there's Makeship, which basically does like uh, partnerships with uh, creators to make plushies. Um, there's a handful of country-specific crowdfunding sites. There's one in France. There's one in Japan. I think there's one in Brazil too, but there's a ton of different crowdfunding options. I'm tailoring this presentation to speak about the ones that are the most ubiquitous and the most used in the space. So I'm not going to talk about every single crowdfunding uh, option that exists. Uh, we're just going to sort of make a decision based on the ones that are most commonly used just because they're a little bit more universal, right? So how do I decide? Um, well, let's talk about Indiegogo first, right? So Indiegogo is a rewards-based crowdfunding platform. So that means that uh, people will ask for money in exchange for a reward of some kind. Again, that could be a game, uh, a comic, a record. It's a, it's a thing. It's a creative thing that has been uh, output based on uh, a, a funding through rewards. They offer something called flexible and full funding. Flexible funding is a really interesting model. Uh, so let's say that you need $50,000 to make the thing. Um, flexible funding allows you to basically collect as much money as you make, regardless of whether you reach your goal or not. So if your goal is $50,000, but you end up making $30,000, you can still collect that $30,000 um, and there's still an exchange of money. Full funding is the full amount plus anything in addition to that. So if your goal is 50,000 and you make 50,000, great. If your goal is 50,000, but you make 100,000, you you keep uh, 100,000 of that. Um, they also offer something called in-demand to any creator, which is basically a way to continue selling uh, post-crowdfunding uh, campaign, right? So it's sort of like a pre-order system, but instead of a pre-order being before the crowdfunding campaign, it's after the crowdfunding campaign. It's it's super interesting. It's really beneficial to a lot of creators, which is fantastic. Um, but it's basically just like a, a glorified post-funding pre-order system. Um, Indiegogo is also very popular with design and technology. They are also very popular with comics, but they're popular specifically with... Um, comics that have been part of something called Comicsgate that was very similar to Gamergate, but tailored towards that uh, in the world of comics. So it's a, it's a little bit, it's, it's a very interesting space for the comics community, but design and technology is really sort of the like the big category on Indiegogo. Um, there's a handful of successful games projects that exist on Indiegogo, uh, but I think really Indiegogo is more sort of common with design and technology. Um, Backerkit. Backerkit's new to the space. They opened their doors officially to everybody last summer. Um, 
they are similar to Indiegogo. They're a awards-based crowdfunding platform. So you make a thing, you get the money, you send the thing. Uh, they do full funding. There's no flexible funding. There's no equity funding. Uh, they are also really interesting because they offer crowdfunding, pledge management, and marketing. So what that means is basically a full like 360 holistic service. So you can do a pre-marketing option. You then crowdfund and then you do marketing while your project is live. And then after your project is uh, done funding, you can go into something called the pledge manager, which basically allows you to collect information to give your rewards out. But it also offers you the opportunity to do similar to sort of like a post-funding pre-order, which is continuing to collect pledges after the campaign is over. Right now, they uh, are mostly tabletop and accessories driven. So they have a ton of role-playing games, TTRPG, tabletop role-playing games. Sorry if you are not familiar with that acronym. TTRPG stands for tabletop role-playing games. Uh, they also have a lot of pins, a lot of plushies. They've had one video game project so far on the site. I know that they want to make more video game projects. Uh, they want to allow more video game projects on the site for uh, the crowdfunding side of things. So it's an option, but it's still definitely in the uh, sort of startup phase of what a crowdfunding site would look like. Um, next, we have a company called GameFound. I'm assuming most people here are video game creators, but if there are any tabletop folks, GameFound is uh, a, a very real threat to the ecosystem of Kickstarter. They are a tabletop-only crowdfunding site. Uh, again, they do rewards-based crowdfunding. They do full funding, no flexible or equity crowdfunding. They offer crowdfunding and a pledge manager. So the you know once the campaign is ended, you go into the pledge manager. It's a way to collect information. It's sort of like a post-campaign pre-order. We've already discussed this. Um, they are, as I said, tabletop exclusive. They are also very popular in Europe. And the thing that they've really sort of gravitated towards is traditional board games. So what I mean by that is something called a Euro game which is like big boxes with lots of play mats and minis and components and things like that. Uh, card games, smaller bespoke experiences, zines, uh, traditional role-playing games that are, you know, a book not as popular, but like these very, very big, massive games. So so games like, um, even though uh, it was uh, funded on Kickstarter and Backerkit things, but it's probably the most known, a game like Frosthaven, that type of a game is very, very ubiquitous with game found um and that leads us of course to the the big buddy kickstarter right this is sort of the most known crowdfunding site kickstarter is interesting because it's also uh kickstarter is sort of similar to the brand kleenex where when you think about just like a tissue right it's just a tissue but the brand is called kleenex so people say oh i ran a kickstarter they don't always mean kickstarter sometimes they just mean crowdfunding so it's very interesting that they have uh co-opted that space in the market so Kickstarter, again, rewards-based crowdfunding, full funding, no flexible or equity crowdfunding. It's still the dominant force in crowdfunding. There's definitely been a little bit of a splinter with GameFound, BackerKit, a little bit. Uh, they've made a bit of a dent, still not as big as Kickstarter. Um, and they offer crowdfunding, pledge management, and marketing. Uh, they recently, as of last year, it was either last year or 2022, I can't remember, um, they partnered with a company called Pledge Manager, which is a competing pledge manager option to BackerKit and GameFound. Um, and they also partnered with a company called Jellup, which is a marketing service that runs ads for your project uh, when the game is live, which is really cool and exciting. Um, so 
that's a lot of information. Uh, hope that kind of gives you just like the quick information about like what's the difference between all these platforms are. There's obviously a lot of similarities. Um, there's only like so much iteration that you can do in the world of crowdfunding. So there's small little tweaks be between all of these that make them a little bit different. But what are the numbers? What do these numbers look like? Um, so I wanted to just talk about FIG and Republic really quickly, just because I think it's important to know what they were able to do, even though they did, you know, FIG did sell to Republic. So during the time of FIG, though, they launched in 2015 and they closed their doors in 2023, but they were they really, really made a huge effort to um, take a little bit of the market from Kickstarter. They also offered equity crowdfunding that thanks to President Obama that signed that law, the Jobs Act in 2012, allowed this to really exist. So they had 20 games in total on the site. About 17 of them were successful. That is an incredible success rate in the world of crowdfunding. We'll get into the Kickstarter numbers behind video games a little bit later. So that's really, really exciting. And in the lifespan of FIG, they raised over $13 million dollars for all these different creators. Um, I don't really know what the recouped money is for the games that had the equity crowdfunding option. Um, I know some people were pleased with it. I know some weren't, but I also kind of feel like that's, that's kind of the risk that you take with any sort of equity-based funding of any kind. But I think that they did an incredible job, you know, really like aggressively going towards something that they believed in. I don't know what the future of equity crowdfunding for games specifically looks like, but I also think it's important to give the accolades where they're deserved. And I think it is an option that should be explored in the future when it's time. I don't know if, if today is the time. I don't know if tomorrow will be the time. I don't know if 2024 will be the time. But I think equity crowdfunding is really interesting. And I think if we're looking at crowdfunding as a whole, having different options is important and equity crowdfunding probably at some point will be necessary. I think it just needs a little bit of time to cook a little more. Um, so the numbers behind Kickstarter. So Kickstarter hasn't released numbers as of 2023. So a lot of these numbers are based on um, 2020, I'm sorry, 2009 to about 2021. Uh, I don't believe that they had 2022 numbers either, uh, but this is a good sort of projection that we can see. So Specifically for video games projects, this was taken from uh, ICO, uh, ICO, it's ICO Partners. Um, it's Thomas Bedeau's company. Um, this is a fantastic graph. Uh, Thomas and his team have done an amazing job of looking over different numbers on Kickstarter and crowdfunding in general, and sort of like synthesizing the numbers and making them, uh, for lack of a better term, palatable for <laughs> for people, which is really helpful. So we can kind of see there's a lot going on here, right? So the number of funded projects on Kickstarter since about 2000, uh, since about 2009 is just under 4,000 projects that have been successfully funded, which is really exciting and like super, super fantastic to kind of see what's going on, right? Um, if we look at specifically the amount of money raised, though, this is where things get really interesting. It makes sense that in 2013, there was a huge surge, right? Um, partially because that was Tim Schafer. Uh, that's, this is the effect of Tim Schafer come 2013. Uh, 2014 was a little bit of a dip. And then in 2015, you had games like uh, Bloodborne, you had uh, Shenmue, you had... Uh, um, Mighty Number no. 9, you had these very, very big projects that were funding. So 
I think there's some there's a couple things to kind of take away from this. One is these projects that funded in 2015, 2016, 2017, those came out around 2019, 2020. So that means that this like small surge that happened from 2019 to 2020, those games funding in 2020 and 2021 are coming out now. Sea of Stars is a great example of that. Sea of Stars funded in 2020 and it came out in 2023. So a lot of these games that are funding, uh, you know, it takes about three years, I would say three to four years, the cycle of crowdfunding for video games for those games to come out, unless you're in a place where you're like, the game's basically done. I'm just sort of using Kickstarter as like a marketing option and a marketing opportunity for me to grow my community. It takes a long time to make a game. I do also want to quickly talk about success rates here. Um, success rates are really, really interesting. Um, we can kind of get into why those are, and I'm going to reiterate this a little bit later. But the success rate for uh, crowdfunding as a whole is about 43%. Um, I want you to keep that in mind, that the success rate for crowdfunding as a whole is about 43%. When I say crowdfunding, I don't just mean games. I mean all of crowdfunding, right? Uh, that includes film, that includes music, that includes, uh, that includes, and my partner just walked in. He's, he's trying to sneakily sneak around here. It's very funny. I wish I could show you all, uh, but I could not. Uh, but that includes any category that exists in crowdfunding. Crowdfunding is about 43% success rate. So let's keep that in the back of our minds. Um, continuing on with some of the numbers here, backer kit. Backerkit, quite honestly, it's still too early for any sort of data, especially in the world of video games. There's one video game that launched on Backerkit. They're still in the process of like collecting information. Um, they're still actively looking for video games to launch on the platform. Uh, so something to sort of keep in mind. Um, so that kind of leads me to the big question to this presentation, which is, is crowdfunding still an option? Some people say no. Uh, <laughs> this is, this is the reason I've heard that crowdfunding is not an option anymore. It's impossible to raise millions of dollars. That's not untrue. Uh, the days of, as we looked at these graphs a little bit earlier, the days of raising millions upon millions of dollars, those don't really exist anymore. There's a lot of different reasons as to why that is. One specifically for video games um, the landscape of video games has changed exponentially. You have more of these bespoke uh, publishers that are coming out. I think publishers are also changing the way that they sort of run their businesses and how they sort of view that relationship between publisher and creator. So being an indie, uh, you don't necessarily need to 100% be an indie at all times. You could work with somebody like Raw Fury. You could work with somebody like Devolver. You could work with somebody like Armor Games. You could work with somebody like Whitethorn Digital. There's, you know, there's there's an ever-growing amount of publishers that are looking for different ways to help creators. Um, part of that is thanks to Kickstarter. Um, I know for a fact a lot of publishers look at Kickstarter pretty religiously uh, to kind of see what's going on and grab games before they fund so they can say, haha, we got this and we're able to help, you know, it's in, in a positive way, not in like a nefarious way. Um, so it's impossible to raise millions of dollars. It's impossible to fund a game fully in the world of crowdfunding. You need to have 50% of your game done before you even can consider crowdfunding. You need to have 30 seconds of gameplay that's going to be as close to the final project as possible before you come to crowdfunding. So what does that money look like, right? Well, most video games on, on, well, just 
talk about Kickstarter just because that's where most of the numbers exist here. Uh, most video games make between fifty thousand and a hundred thousand dollars. So that those days of raising millions of dollars is a little bit of a flash in the pan. It's a lot of work for little return. This is a fair assessment. There is a lot of work. There's a lot of work that goes into running a crowdfunding campaign. I would, however, say there's a lot of work that goes into making a game. There's a lot of work that goes to working with a publisher. There's a lot of work if you're an independent creator. Making games is just a lot of work. Uh, you have to kind of ask yourself, how much additional work am I willing to put in for what might feel like very little return because that return might be longer down the line. Um, there's too many scams in crowdfunding. All I all I get is scams, too many scams, right? And we'll address that a little bit later. So I wanted to specifically talk about the success rate that we that I mentioned earlier, right? That 43%. The success rate in crowdfunding is about 41 to 43%. We'll just say 43% because it's a prettier number uh, rather than 41 for some reason. Um, video game success rate, specifically on Kickstarter, it's less than 25%. While the tabletop games uh, success rate is less than 80%. Now, why is that? Why is tabletop games so successful compared to video games? Um, and this isn't just Kickstarter. This is a success rate that you're going to see kind of across the board. Fig was a bit of an exception. Um, there's a lot of different reasons as to why that is. The equity crowdfunding part is an interesting component to it. I don't know how much of that equity uh, ties into the success rate on Fig. That's you know, it's kind of impossible to tell. And I think there's a handful of different ways to look at it. But I can tell you the success rate for tabletop versus video games kind of comes down to uh, the output. And what I mean by that is the relationship between tabletop games and crowdfunding is a perfect one, right? I make a card game. I'm going to talk to a manufacturer and I know that I need to make X amount of units. These are the components that I'm going to have. This is the type of paper I've decided on. This is the, if I'm going to do color or not, color is going to cost a little bit more. Um, fonts, sizes, all of the different components. And I'm going to know exactly how much it is that I need. So let's say again, just staying with this this beautiful number of $50,000. I need $50,000 and I'm going to go to Kickstarter. I know that the success rate on Kickstarter or Backerkit or GameFound for anything that's associated with the tabletop game is going to be pretty high. Um, I know that I can make that money because I know how much it is that I need to make. Pretty simplistic, right? Video games is a different beast. Video games inherently experience much more development delays just as a medium. Uh, video games, a lot of video games in the world of crowdfunding also launch without showing anything. This is a thing that I see all the time on Kickstarter. Uh, video games also launch still with the mindset of like, oh, if I just like put a project up, people will see it. I don't really need to tell anybody about it. Everybody's obviously just going to like come see it. It's not a problem. Those don't, ex those days just don't exist anymore. So the tabletop space, not only as um, just the space that exists in crowdfunding, but also as creators, they are all constantly talking to each other and they're very much dialed into the world of crowdfunding. Uh, I don't know many publishers in the world of tabletop uh, that don't use Kickstarter or encourage the creators that they, excuse me, that they work with to make sure that they're doing crowdfunding to fund their projects, which is really, really interesting, right? So I also really, I, I need to address this concept of too many scams, which I hear all the time. So I think it's really important to note that uh, this is a 
this is a bit of a misnomer, right? And I'll explain. So in March of 2015, Kickstarter invited a scholar from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania to kind of help answer this question. Um, and granted, I understand this is from 2015. That's I appreciate that. It's, you know, been almost 10 years. But I can tell you as a former Kickstarter person, the numbers that came out of this study basically didn't change my entire time that I was there. Um, this professor was is an expert in entrepreneurship and innovation, uh, and they developed this independent study where they surveyed uh, about half a million backers about project uh, outcomes and uh, the backer sentiment of what came out of that, right? So what they found is about 9% of Kickstarter projects failed to deliver rewards, right? So that means if we look, if we flip that number, that means 91% of projects deliver. Um, only about 8% of dollars pledged went to failed projects. Only about 7% of backers failed to receive their chosen reward. And about 65% of backers agreed or strongly agreed with the statement that the reward was delivered on time. Now, uh, if you go to kickstarter.com slash fulfillment, you can read this study in depth much more. These are just, you know, very high level things. Um, I want to point out a couple things here in terms of what I hear about what a scam is. One of the biggest things that I've heard about a scam is, well, I didn't get my reward on time. That's fair. That's frustrating, right? You back to thing. They said it would be ready around this time and they didn't. Not receiving your reward on time is not a scam. That is a delayed reward. That's something to keep in mind. The other thing to keep in mind is there's a number of projects that have come out that were not exactly what was promised. Um, I think the most known version of that is Mighty Number no. 9, where, you know, I think we heard this a lot, which is like, this was a scam. Mighty Number no. 9 was a scam. Maybe. That's, that's certainly one perspective, and that's certainly one way to look at it. But the game did come out. Um, I think Mighty Number no. 9 was the victim of um, a complicated publisher relationship. So I don't know if uh, identifying Mighty Number no. 9 as a scam when you did receive a game, it may not have been the game that you wanted and it may not have been the game that you promised, but you did receive a game. I don't know if it's fair to categorize that as a scam. So I just want to take a little bit of a, like, I want to reset this idea that the, that crowdfunding is just full of scams, that people are just like getting money and running away with the money. Um, if you dive a little bit deeper into the study, you you can find that something like, it's like something like 0.05% of creators actually just took the money and ran. More often than not, uh, a project doesn't come out, fully doesn't come out, fully is not going to come to fruition mostly because of development delays or mismanagement within the creator ecosystem. So it could be that they hired someone that wasn't right for the project and now they're out, you know, a significant amount of money. It could be that they were in talks with a publisher and the publisher backed out at the last minute or the creator backed out at the last minute. There's just like a whole host of things that could have happened. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the creator just like took the money and ran. And that's why the project didn't come out. I think this is why it's really important for creators to constantly communicate with their backers as to what's going on. No news is bad news. Bad news is still news, right? Still something to communicate with. So that kind of brings us to, again, the point of this talk is crowdfunding still an option. Yeah, it is to some people. Uh, crowdfunding has changed. Um, crowdfunding has changed significantly. Crowdfunding is 
uh, a little bit more of a marketing opportunity for a lot of folks, right? So looking at crowdfunding not as a solely financial opportunity to make money, but more from the perspective of I can get a lot of eyes that I wasn't able to initially is a great way to look at crowdfunding. Um, it's a marketing opportunity. It's a community building tool. It's also an opportunity to get publishers to look at your project, right? If you uh, are a successful Kickstarter creator, and let's say that you have, you know, let's say that you did make $50,000. That's nothing to like laugh at. That's a lot of money. That's a significant amount of money. But let's say with that $50,000, you got like 2,500 backers. That's 2,500 people that you are, that you can say, hey, these people are going to follow me. These people are going, they want to be a part of this. That speaks volumes when you're talking to publishers. It's a bit of a negotiation tool, a bit of a negoti negotiation tactic to be able to say, like, I have I have this. This I'm not starting from square one. I have people. I have a community. I'm going to continue to grow that community. This is a thing that exists, and I'm super excited about it. Um, and as I mentioned, it's a continuous community building tool. Um, is crowdfunding still an option? So personally... The answer to this is where I stand on if crowdfunding is still an option or not, which is yes. However, um, the category is key to answer this question. What I mean by that is tabletop, obviously, De design and technology to a certain degree. Film, maybe. Music, maybe. Dance, probably not. Um, the dance category really just kind of was was destroyed by the pandemic, mostly because how can you back a project for a thing that you're probably never going to see live? Live performances in general are very difficult to crowdfund. It's becoming a little bit easier now. We're kind of back to where we were in 2019 to a certain degree, but a lot of these categories have just fallen victim to the pandemic. Video games, still definitely an option. Um, but I would say two things. One, the platform that you launch on matters, right? Um, if you're willing to experiment a little bit and you're willing to sort of potentially lose a little bit of money, just in the sense of like you're not going to make as much as you would on another platform, I think Backerkit is a great option. Backerkit is also great uh, for uh, sending feedback to the people at Backerkit. They take that feedback and they synthesize that feedback. They look at the data and they want to build tools that are helpful for creators. They are not in a place to just churn out projects though, right? They're still very much in the like, we want to get feedback. We want to know what's going on. We're building this platform. They're still in the building phase. So if you are relying on a platform to make a significant amount of money, I don't know if Backerkit is the right option for you. So you have Kickstarter. Kickstarter is still, you know, I just looked today, there's over 800 live projects just in the games category. Um, that's really, really big. That's a huge, huge deal. There's a misconception that you want to launch your project around when nobody else is launching. That's not the case. Crowdfunding is like the only time that trickle-down economics actually works. Um, and what I mean by that is when large creators launch projects on crowdfunding platforms, there is a trickle-down effect. Um, it was very interesting when Critical Role launched their project because they launched in film and the category that was most closely associated to the second project that people backed after the first project. So what I mean is people who are brand new to the platform, signed up for Kickstarter, backed uh, Critical Role. The next category that they went for was games. 
it was it was just a beautiful one-to-one relationship when a very large tabletop creator called cool mini or not launches projects um the response is the number of new backers that come to the platform is huge and they have a little bit of a trickle down effect so the platform really really matters just um where you want to launch so to reiterate that a little bit, um, Kickstarter is great if you are a first-time creator who needs to secure that funding. Backerkit is great if you are a bit of an established creator or you're a creator who is comfortable potentially not funding, but being more involved with the building of a brand new platform. Um, the other thing is you need to build your community. Um, we're going to use that $50,000 example because it is the only example that I can use because I'm terrible at math. Uh, but let's say that your goal is $50,000 and your you know, average game price is $20. That's about how much a game costs on Steam, maybe 30 these days. If you divide those numbers, that gives you 2,500 people. So you want to have a community roughly double that. So you want to have a community about 5,000 people Honestly, you want it even bigger than that, right? You want to have a community as large as possible. But the days of just sort of coming to a crowdfunding platform and having a small community and sort of saying, oh, I don't know, I just kind of hope people find it. Um, not impossible, might happen. But it's definitely more important to build that community before you come. Typically, what happens is as a first-time creator, about 30% of your pledges that come in are going to be through that crowdfunding platform. That includes any sort of promotions, marketing opportunities, anything that's associated with the platform. That means you as a creator need to bring in 70% of your pledges. That is incredibly important to think about. Um, the other thing that I want to point out is time and resources. Um, do you have time to devote to a Kickstarter or a crowdfunding campaign in general? Do you have the resources? Do you possibly have a uh, a community manager? Do you have, uh, you know, do you have an artist? Do you have the, the people that are necessary to do this? If you don't, maybe crowdfunding is not the right thing for you to do. Genre is also important. Um, this is a little bit easier to kind of talk about because mostly what I mean is first-person shooters don't do super well in crowdfunding. Uh, games that would otherwise be sort of associated with AAA projects, um, they don't do very, very well in crowdfunding, mostly because they cost a lot of money, right? They cost millions of dollars to make a lot of these uh, first-person shooters. Um, you know, a huge 30-hour game may not be the best crowdfunding, may not be the best thing for you to, to look at. You might want to just immediately go to a publisher. And lastly, which I think is actually the most important, is can you deliver? Are you able to deliver a reward since these are rewards-based crowdfunding options? Other things to consider in the world of crowdfunding, just from a like practical standpoint, um, your launch date and time of year, right? So uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays tend to be the best times to launch a crowdfunding platform. You want to avoid Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You also want to avoid holidays. So the last time that you want to launch, the last part of the year that you want to launch a crowdfunding platform is the second week of October. The second week of October means that you're going to be ending roughly the middle of November, right before the holiday push. Crowdfunding is basically non-existent during the holidays. The best time to launch in the beginning of the year is now-ish, right? So like beginning, middle of February through about the beginning of May. Summer is not a bad time by any means. It's just that people tend to be a little bit away from their computers, right? Especially in Europe when people are on, on this thing called a vacation that as an American, I'll never know. Um, but 
you know, people's kids are in school. People are, you know, just sort of focusing on summer, summer things. There's a little bit more holidays. People are sort of busy on the weekends. Um, so it's not bad. It's just a little bit quiet. Uh, and again, as we discussed sort of earlier, who else is launching? If you can kind of figure out who else is launching around the time frame that you're launching, great. That's awesome. Ride those coattails. I fully, fully, fully encourage that. Um, and we talked about this before, but please remember the 30-70 rule. About 30% of your pledges are going to come in through the platform and about 70% of your pledges are going to come in through the community that you build. Um, I put this in here because I think it's important to note Third-party options are only a portion of your funding. So what I mean by that is marketing services. That could be Backerkit. That could be Jellib. That could be you know any anybody that's like a third party that you're working with. That is not going to make or break your project. That is not going to be, this is the thing that's going to bring me the majority of my pledges. It is a portion. It is not all of your pledges. You can't supplement third-party to make up for a community that you haven't built. So... Is crowdfunding still an option? Only if you're willing to accept that crowdfunding has changed. I hope this sentence alone is the thing that you can walk away from this entire presentation about. Crowdfunding has changed. Um, for some people, it's changed for the good. For some people, it's changed for the worse. Uh, it it kind of depends on what your needs are, and it kind of depends on what it is that you're trying to achieve, right? I think that's the most important thing to keep in mind. So. Um, this is my information. This is my name. This is my Twitter. I refuse to call it X. I don't care what Elon does or says. It is Twitter. Fight me. Uh, for everything else, all other social media that exists that's out there, uh, I'm at Anya Combs Her Hair. This is my email address. Please feel free to email me with any questions. Um, and my last slide is a thank you slide. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Pro tip, don't, don't fight Anja. She's very scrappy. That's um, true, yeah. I am. <laughs> it's not going to end well for you. Um, th this is awesome. So one thing I was actually, I don't do it. I can do it myself. Let's put your stuff back up there okay. so um, everybody can find you. So we have a lot of questions and we have 18 minutes. Um, if pe People just keep posting them. If we can't get them Oof. here, we'll get them on the Discord. Uh, but I'm going to start going through these one at a time. Uh, so first up, from YouTube, does the quality and authenticity of a production increase the discoverability on the Kickstarter main page? Um, not exactly. So this is actually a really great question. Uh, I will not give away the trade secrets of Kickstarter because I value my friendships with the people who still work there. But what I will tell you is um, the editorial, how editorial works on Kickstarter, it's not based on an algorithm and it's not based on anything that's like performance-based. So what I mean by that is if your project is, you know, making a ton of money and you have all these backers, that doesn't mean that you automatically get shoved to the front page or anything like that. Um, is it helpful? Yeah, because it's going to be you're going to have a little bit more visibility from people. But all of the editorial uh, workings of Kickstarter are actually done by human beings. So there are people that are constantly on the site sort of looking around the staff at Kickstarter. They have the ability to like favorite projects, basically. Um, but that editorial team is the team that sort of manage all of those those features that exist on Kickstarter. So that's getting that Projects We Love badge, that's getting on the front page, that's getting in newsletters, all of that stuff, right? That is all done by humans. Um, it's not so much about the look and the quality of the, of the project. It's more about 
how you're presenting it. So like if you have this beautiful main image and you just have like a paragraph of text, it kind of looks like you didn't really care. <laughs> um, so like if you're willing to put the work in, that gets seen by the staff at Kickstarter and they're much more willing to give visibility to projects that sort of adhere to the guidelines that exist on Kickstarter. That also means projects that have those annoying badges of like just funded or funded in X amount of hours, anything that's like a weird accolade. Kickstarter hates that. They want to see clean, beautiful images that showcase your project because everything else that's on there, it just starts to look like an Amazon ad. And it's not super appealing. Um, those accolades should be reserved for your project page and they should be reserved for your updates. Wait, wrong one. All right. From Inspector Geek on YouTube, I have been hearing for years to use crowdfunding more like a marketing platform instead of a funding one. Is this still the best use? Um, I mean, I have a very unsatisfying answer to that, which is, uh, it depends on your project. It depends. Um, yeah, it depends. <laughs> like it's so much of crowdfunding is like, it depends. Uh, if it's that you need marketing. Yeah, absolutely. Like use it as a marketing tool. Why not? Um, if you need funding, use it as a funding tool. Right. Um, some people are sort of like in the Venn diagram where it's like they're right in the middle. Uh, so it, it kind of depends on what your needs are. If your needs are that you you desperately need this money, then yes, use it as a funding tool. If it's that you don't necessarily need the funding, but you do need a little bit more marketing and you need more of a community that's associated with the game and you need more eyeballs, use it that way. For Keeves on YouTube, is there a real risk in running a failed Kickstarter? For example, not reaching the goal, can that result in a negative impact for the project? I, there are going to be people that that disagree with me in my response, but my answer is no. Um, I don't, I've said this so many times. I don't believe that there is, if your project doesn't fund, that is not a failed Kickstarter. Or your, if your project doesn't fund on any platform, that's just not a failed crowdfunding project. That just means it's a project that like didn't fund. That's all that, that's all that means right there's a lot of information that you can take from a project that hasn't funded right wow i thought i had a community size that was big enough turns out i didn't maybe for whatever reason everybody that started following me on twitter because that's the only place that i decided to grow a community was all of these annoying bots that are popping up maybe i need to focus my community building efforts in uh creating a larger mailing list um maybe the game just isn't resonating with people the way that I thought it was. You know, there's there's data points that you can take from projects that don't fund. I under, That doesn't take away from the emotions that are associated with a project that hasn't funded, right? Like that doesn't feel good. It's like, oh, that sucks. This this wasn't, I, I wasn't successful in something. Regardless of what or whatever it is, those, those like feelings are valid and real and I don't want to take away from that. But I also think it's a, an incredible opportunity to come back, learn, and launch a project that is like super badass. I, I will say there are some publishers out there who will look at a failed Kickstarter as a justification for not publishing a game. But quite frankly, those publishers, in my opinion, are not working worth working with. Because I, I also know publishers who only look for projects that don't fund. Yes. That's true too. The, mm -hmm. I've I've seen some that will come and look at a game and go, okay, well that didn't get funded, so there's obviously no interest. And I'm sitting there looking at them, going, it didn't get funded because they're not a crowdfunding company and they're not a marketing company. Yep. They're a developer. Yep. 
Yep. And if they, honestly, if the publisher can't grasp that, then it's probably not a good partner for you anyway. But yes, there are also, you know, from, from the scouting side, failed Kickstarters are a wonderful treasure trove of hidden gems every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, next up from Western World Studio, are there small investor groups to target for a Kickstarter campaign separately from future players and small contributors? Um, I think I don't fully know how to answer this question appropriately because are you asking, are there small investor groups to target to, to put money into your Kickstarter? That's my takeaway. Yeah. So I guess I'll answer this as best as I can based on that. Are there small investor groups to target for a Kickstarter campaign? Um, probably. Um, I, I find that investor groups don't fully understand what crowdfunding is though. And you're much better to kind of look at like the general population. Um, so I think focusing on future players and small contributors is a little bit of a better experience. Small investor groups also tend to want to have a stake in your game and they kind of look at, at, uh, crowdfunding a little bit more as like an equity opportunity. Um, you know, I, I've I've seen a handful of like angel investors come in and pledge to projects, but in general, small investor groups like they just don't understand crowdfunding. So probably, but I just don't recommend working with them. Probably not your best use of assets to target. Yeah, that's a that's how we can. Yeah, there we go. All right. So from Jeff, how do you approach building a community from nothing with no prior history releasing titles as a team? Yeah, it's a great question. So community building in some ways has gotten harder than ever because of the destruction of Twitter. Twitter was like the place for years for people to build community, right? Um, The upside of that is the explosion of discords that have happened over the last, you know, three or four years or so. Um, So there's a discord for everything. There's a discord specifically for like the genre that you want to, you know, that you're making. There's a discord for the sub genre that you're making. There's a sub, there's a, there's a discord for the third genre of, of what you're making in your game. Right. So finding those discords is going to be incredibly important. It, it really is about like community building is basically just like online networking, networking. So look for the games that you like get involved in those communities. Um, Look for the developers that you like, reach out to them. If they don't respond to you, don't take it personally. Nine times out of 10, they're just overloaded with messages. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you messaging them is is worse or or bad by any means. But like if you can get a response, amazing. Ask them for 30 minutes of their time and then ask if you can Venmo them or send them like a $15 like gift card to like a local coffee shop or something like that, or ask if you can like buy them lunch. Um, that to me is always lovely, especially now in my like uh, freelance and consulting practice. I'm much more inclined to talk to somebody that's like, Hey, I value your time. I may not be able to pay you for your time, but I can offer you something versus, Hey, can I just have your like contact list? Which I'm amazed at how many people just ask that. And I'm like, no, like what? No. <laughs> not how that works okay (laughs) vibes um so like you know that also kind of like you stick out in people's mind a little bit more if you're like hey i is there something i can't 
financially, I'm not able to compensate you for your time, but I can buy you lunch. I can buy you a coffee. Uh, and I will only, I'm only going to take 30 minutes of your day. I'm not going to take more than that. Like I just have a couple of questions done. Um, gosh, that like, that goes so far. Um, so those are, those are some like easy ways. Uh, Getting involved in your local community is also important. It is amazing how many people forget that, like, you know, and it's easy, especially in the world of, like, video game dev. Like, we just kind of, like, sit it on our computers and, like, don't go outside, right? Sure, great. That that sucks. Uh, there is an IGDA, the Independent Game Developers Association, that exists almost everywhere in the world. So find one that is closest to you and see if they're hosting local events. Um, start Googling what any, like, local event uh, close to you looks like if that's a meetup of some kind that could even be quite frankly it could be something tabletop related I know here in New York um, there's so many Dungeons and Dragons just like groups that are popping up in local breweries and coffee shops that people want to play like every week I am so allergic to something in my apartment right now I cannot figure out what it is but I'm just like sniffling and having a septum piercing when you have allergies is such a time uh so i'm sorry that i keep like rubbing my nose it's it's just weird allergies because that's fun and fresh don't no, no worry i still can't breathe from being in vegas last week where the air is just completely devoid of any sort of humidity so it's but they're good. pumping so much perfume into all oh, of the oh casinos don't get me fucking started yeah <laughs> my parents live in reno i understand <sighs> Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, quick comment came in. Get yeah. feedback on it. Um, TikTok may be dead. Not not yeah. Twitter may be dead. TikTok is not. Is yes. that a good source of TikTok is a great way to grow a community. TikTok TikTok is not a great way to do um marketing in terms of ads. That's good to know. Yeah. All right. Next up. Do you have any basic tips for increasing discoverability for a crowdfunded project? Uh, this is an interesting wording because for a crowdfunded, so specifically, are you asking post crowdfunding and the game has come out or are you asking for increasing discoverability for a project that is currently in the state of crowdfunding? My takeaway is in the state of. Cool. Yeah. Um, in the state of, uh, grow that community before you launch a project. That is the best way to do it. Um, I think, okay, this is actually a really important thing to note. There is a huge misconception that you can like just go to press and you can go to influencers and streamers and that whole world and press is going to write about your project and, you know, some big streamer is going to stream your project and everybody's going to come to it because of that. Press virtually has no impact on, on crowdfunding projects. Now, with that being said, if you can get press, that is amazing because you can take quotes from that article and put it on your crowdfunding project. But just understand that press is very, very, very rarely, if ever, going to have a direct correlation to the amount of funding that comes into your project. Similarly, if you can get streamers to like stream your game and be associated, that's fantastic. Uh, but it's very rarely going to have a direct correlation to a to money actually coming into your project. You can take that footage, you can put it in like a reel of some kind, you can put it on your project page, you can post an update about it, you can do all these cool things with it. But that is really more of a like PR sort of thing than uh, actually bringing in pledges. So in terms of a project that is live and you're looking for discoverability, that's really the 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 thing that's going to determine that is the work that you do before you actually launch your project. 
This is one that we get a lot. Is it viable to run a Kickstarter to fund a demo? If so, should you be upfront about that with the backers? Do not do this. Do not use Kickstarter to fund a demo. I will explain. Backers are conditioned on, on any crowdfunding platform, uh, specifically uh, to have a complete game of some kind. My dog has just come over to say hi. Hi, buddy. Um, he's now shoving his butt in my face. Fantastic. Love this. Dogs are great. Uh, <laughs> He's very sweet. He's just big and doesn't know how big he is. He's like 60 pounds and thinks he's a lap dog. It's, it's wonderful. Um, so if you are looking to just fund a demo, the challenge with that is your backers are going to be like, well, where's the game? Why am I just funding a demo? When do I get the full game? Why am I spending what would effectively be the price for a full game to get a demo? Um, that is, that's kind of tough to hear. And I understand that, but I, I would I want to save you from having a bunch of backers come to your project page, pledge a dollar just to be trolls. Just to be what? Trolls. That's a thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Huh. You can you can pledge a dollar on Kickstarter. Well, I knew that can... much. I didn't yeah. know that people did it just to troll you because I'm yeah. looking at it going, I, I got your dollar. So Yeah. yeah. That's kind of how I look at it too. Okay. It's not it's not like so common that it happens all the time, but like it especially if people kind of it's dogpiling. So if people see that like oh everybody's like, you know, being rude to this creator for whatever reason, it's not uncommon for people to just sort of dogpile. And it it's just it, look, we all exist on the internet. We know how the internet works. Yes, we do. Especially especially in this industry. All right, next up, uh, we do location-based games like Pokemon Go. Is there any specific platform that you would suggest? I feel like that might be a little bit better for Patreon. Um Rather than something like Kickstarter or Backerkit or Indiegogo, only because typically with the way that those platforms work is it's sort of a one and done. And if I understand location-based games, which please correct me if I'm wrong and I'm happy to be wrong here because um, I'm not – I don't really work in the location-based game space – but I think that is ongoing and it feels like because that is ongoing funding for things that need to constantly be updated. I think Patreon might, might make a little bit more sense. All right. We got one last question and you just, you know, led perfectly into mm -hmm. it. Um, and then we're going to bounce to the next one. Any data on Patreon success rate? I do not know. I'm so sorry. Uh, there might be success rates on, on Patreon. I remember looking at some point and I couldn't find anything, but I don't know if that's been updated since I looked, which could have been yesterday, could have been two years ago. My concept of time doesn't exist. <laughs> Nothing exists. That's a pandemic. It's okay. It's true. Uh, thank you so much. I love these sessions because everybody learns so much, including myself. You are fantastic. Everyone out thank there, you. if you are thinking of crowdfunding, talk to Anya, hire her, literally the best one in the industry, does all of this stuff to help you. And congratulations on the uh, you know continued success with the band as well. Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it's ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, give us thirty seconds here to switch out, and then we'll be back with our next talk. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everybody.